0: hey good morning again everybody great to be together um our our candle is lit we're celebrating that praise god yeah uh dana gave her heart to the lord in our worship service last sunday so way to go dana we love you we are proud of you just want to wish happy father's day again to all the the dads uh, out there your role is vitally important so keep up the good work And I just wanna offer a shout out to my own father who's watching from uh, South Carolina. Dad, I love you. You have been a steady loving presence in my life and I uh, honor you today and thank God for you. We are uh, continuing our series today on the Old Testament Tabernacle and this is a part of our bible if we're honest that when we get to it in our reading that we just sort of skim over it right we're like ah this is part of an ancient thing that's not applicable uh, to us anymore but what we are discovering in this series is that it has immense relevance for our lives because it gives us a picture of how to draw near to god through Jesus. And so last week we just sort of gave an overview of the tabernacle and understood its central meaning. And its central meaning is that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be close to us. In fact, he wants under the new covenant to dwell inside of us in our heart. And God, God wants to be near you and dwell with you. Uh, but what we're doing over the next three weeks is we're gonna step through the different parts of the tabernacle sequentially. So today, we're gonna understand the courtyard and what its spiritual meaning is for us today. Next week, we'll step into the holy place and understand what that is all about. And then the week after that, the most holy place. But today, uh, we're in the courtyard. What, is this, what are the spiritual principles that God has for us as believers in Jesus in the courtyard? So here's, a, here's a, a, a picture again of the courtyard. And there were two objects in the courtyard. The first was a bronze altar that was that would be the first thing when you, when the priest would enter through the eastern door of the tabernacle the first thing you'd be presented with is the bronze altar and it had a fire continuously burning upon it and then what l- laid beyond the altar was the wash basin and I want you to imagine with me just for a moment the daily ritual that happens in the courtyard what God prescribed for the priest to do every day in the courtyard. At sunrise, the priest would enter through the eastern gate of the tabernacle, and he would have with him a one-year-old male lamb without blemish, and he would walk first up to the wash basin, and he would wash his hands, and he would wash his feet, and then he would approach the bronze altar. And on the north side of the altar, he would, the priest would lay his hand upon the head of the lamb and saying, in effect, saying with that, this lamb is taking my place. It is, it is being presented for my sins and the sins of, of the people. And then he would slaughter the lamb. Imagine for a moment how that would feel. He would slaughter the lamb and he would dress it and then it would be burned upon the altar as a burnt offering. And then he would proceed again to the wash basin, wash his hands and wash his feet, and then enter into the holy place of the tabernacle to do his duties there. And Talk about that next week. And then at sunset, he would return through that eastern gate and do the exact same thing again every morning and every evening in the courtyard this is what happened what was this daily ritual teaching the people of israel and here is the big idea of the courtyard the big idea is that to enter god's presence remember god's presence was in the most holy place of the tabernacle in order to enter god's presence my sins need washed and atoned for by blood. That was the big idea, that no one could enter God's presence without their sins being washed and atoned for. The courtyard is reminding them, and it is reminding us that we are all sinners, and our sin must be dealt with if we are going to approach a holy God. We live in a time in which it is offensive to even discuss the concept of sin, but the whole message of the courtyard is that my sin is real and I must deal with it if I'm gonna enter into God's presence. Even for us as believers in Jesus, our hands and feet get dirty as we travel through our day, as we travel through our week. And so how can we restore our fellowship with the Lord and draw near to Him? I wanna share with you today the spiritual meaning behind the sacrifices that were offered on the altar. Because in addition to the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice presented by the priest, in Leviticus chapters one through seven, five sacrifices are, are, are given for the individual Israelite to bring. Not the priest, but for the individual Israelite to bring, five different sacrifices are described. And what I want to do is I want to describe the unique meaning of each one of those sacrifices and how Jesus has fulfilled each one of those for us. And then to draw out the spiritual principle, the spiritual meaning behind each one of those sacrifices that apply to our life today. But because because Jesus has fulfilled these five sacrifices I'm gonna describe, we don't have to bring a physical offering like that anymore, a physical sacrifice like that anymore. But we do bring a spiritual sacrifice. And the New Testament writers reach back to these five offerings and bring out their meaning for us today which we'll talk about okay so what are the five types of offerings described in Leviticus 1 through 7 that are fulfilled by Jesus here's the first one the first one is called a sin offering And it does exactly what you think it's going to do by the title. If you sinned by breaking God's covenant, remember God and Israel entered into a covenant on Mount Sinai. And if you you broke one of God's laws, if you broke the covenant, how could fellowship with God be restored? And it was through the sin offering. And the animal, the type of animal that you would bring for the sin offering was different depending on your status in the community. If you were a priest, if you were a leader of the people, you had to bring a more costly sacrifice than if you were an individual Israelite. And we understand this principle today that the more influence we have, the greater the impact, or the greater the effect of our sin, right? If I sin as a single man, it affects me. But if I sin as a father, now it affects my family, right? If I sin as a pastor, now it affects the church. Even the leader of a nation, when they sin, that sin impacts the whole nation. And so we understand this principle even today. But you would, bring, you would bring this innocent animal into the courtyard yourself. You would lay your hand upon its head, signifying that it is dying in your place for your sin. And then you would slaughter it. Imagine how that would feel to you. And it would have been a rather public thing as you brought that animal into the tabernacle. Then the priest would take its blood, and if you, if, you were, if you were a priest, if you were a leader, the blood would be taken into the holy place. If you're an individual Israelite, it would be sprinkled on the side of the altar. And then the fat would be removed and burned on the altar because the fat represents the best part of the animal. We sort of use this phrasing today when we say things like the the fat of the land. It means the best part of the land, okay? So the fat of the animal would be given to God. The best part would be burned on the altar. And then the priest would eat a portion of that in the courtyard, and the remainder would be burned outside the camp. These details are significant. And we'll come back to them in just a second but first I want to describe to you the second offering which is very similar to the sin offering but it's called the guilt offering and the distinctive part of the guilt offering is that you offered this if your sins impacted another person right? If you lied, if you cheated, if you stole, if you committed fraud, if you committed a, a property crime against another person, you would have to come to the tabernacle with your offering. You would, your sins would be made right before God, and then you had to make the person that you had wronged whole and add 20% on top of it. The guilt offering was teaching That when we hurt another person, it is not enough simply to confess our sin to God, but that we have to make it right with the other person. Now, I want to tell you that Jesus fulfilled in our life both the sin offering and the guilt offering the blood of the animal under the old covenant only covered the sin until jesus who is the sinless spotless lamb of god shed his blood as our permanent sin offering which we access by faith in him when we put our faith in jesus as our sin offering it's like putting your hand on the head of that animal, and you're saying, thank you, Lord, that though you were innocent, though you were spotless, though you were blameless, though you had committed no sin, you died in my place as my sin offering. And even the details of the sin offering are important. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus said, you must eat of my flesh or you have no part in me? And we read that and we're like, what, what is he saying? But what he is saying is, is, is he was making reference to the priest who ate the sin offering in the courtyard. And he was saying, likewise, just as the priest had to do that, you have to receive me into yourself as your sin offering the writer of hebrews says that even as the sin offering was burned outside the camp so jesus was crucified outside the city walls bearing our shame and our reproach jesus is our sin offering and he is our guilt offering THE THIRD OFFERING THAT IS PRESCRIBED IN LEVITICUS 1-7 through IS THE BURNT OFFERING. THE BURNT OFFERING. AND WHILE THE SIN OFFERING AND THE GUILT OFFERING WERE MANDATORY, THE BURNT OFFERING IS DIFFERENT IN THAT IT WAS A VOLUNTARY OFFERING AND IT WAS GIVEN AS A SIGN OF WORSHIP AND OF SURRENDER. And the distinctive thing about the burnt offering is that it was wholly consumed on the altar. No part of it was eaten by the priest. No part of it was eaten by the people. It was wholly consumed. And it burned all day and all night as a sweet aroma to God. And I wanna tell you that Jesus offered himself as our burnt offering in full surrender to the Father's will. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he is having that epic spiritual battle, and finally he says, but Father, take this cup from me if it is possible, but not my will, but your will be done. And he fully surrendered himself to the will of the Father as a burnt offering. The fourth type of sacrifice that was given to the people is the grain offering. The grain offering, and the grain offering was a voluntary offering too, just like the burnt offering was. You took uh, flour, you anointed it with olive oil and with frankincense, and it was the purpose of it was to be a thank you offering for God's provision in your life. A handful of it would be burned on the altar, and the rest would be given to the priests for their sustenance. The scripture says, No yeast. You couldn't offer yeast on the altar because yeast was a symbol of corruption and of sin. And the grain offering had to be salted. Now, in ancient times, salt was a way of sealing a covenant, and so by salting the grain offering, it is a sign of the covenant that God will provide for his people all of their needs. It was often offered as the first part of the harvest. When your harvest came in, you would bring a grain offering to the Lord thanking him for his provision. And I wanna tell you that Jesus is God's provision for you, as the bread of life, and he was anointed likewise with the oil of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and he was given frankincense at his birth and presented on the altar of the cross as your provision. He is the bread of life to you. The last offering given to the people of Israel was the peace offering. And it also was a voluntary offering, and its purpose was to give thanks for answered prayer. In the Old Testament, it's called a, a vow offering because you would make a vow to the Lord, kind of like we do sometimes, right? You know, Oh Lord, if you will answer my prayer, <laughs> this is what I will do. And so when God answered their prayer, they would bring a special kind of peace offering which was called a vow offering. The peace offering was also to celebrate peace with other people. If you made a a covenant of of peace, of friendship with people, you would offer a peace offering. And the unique part of the peace offering is that it was eaten as a celebration meal. What you brought was shared with others in a celebration meal. Kind of think like uh, a wedding Banquet where two people make a covenant together and then you share in a celebration meal following. And that was a little bit like the peace offering. And I want to tell you that Jesus is our peace offering. His blood was shed so that we could have peace with God, be reconciled with God, and also that we could have peace with others. And the church is a living example of that, right? Um, God brings people from every walk of life, every strata of society, every possible background, every possible ethnicity, because God gives us peace with one another in Jesus Christ. He is our peace offering. So Jesus has fulfilled all of those Sacrifices, And that in and of itself is an amazing thing. It shows us again how the Bible is one unified story from front to back, all pointing to Jesus. And only God could do that. But how do these sacrifices apply to us? You know, we don't bring these physical sacrifices anymore because Christ has fulfilled them. But what the New Testament writers do show us is they reach back to these sacrifices and they show us the spiritual principles that lie behind them that are still applicable to us. And I wanna point those out to us. And here's the first one. I offer the sin offering through my confession. I offer the sin offering through confession. When I trust in Jesus, he becomes my sin offering once and for all, right? My sins, past and present and future, are covered because Jesus is my sin offering. But I restore close fellowship with God through confession on a regular basis, this is what the Apostle John was telling us when he wrote, this is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What A beautiful promise, that is. That through confession, the Lord will cleanse my conscience. He will remove my guilt. He will lighten my load. That confession should be a regular part of my prayer life. You know, as I thought about this, this week, I realized that often my own prayers, they are filled with requests, things I need from from God, but they are short on confession. And at the end of the service today, I wanna lead us together in a prayer of personal confession. You know, even in the church, we can shortchange this idea, not only of personal confession, but sometimes even the need for community confession. But that is what opens the door into close communion with God. So I offer the sin offering through confession. Here's the second idea, is that I offer the guilt offering through amends, through amends. The guilt offering reminded the worshiper that when I sin against another person, it's not enough to just confess it to God. That I need to make amends. I need to make it right with the person. And Jesus was referring to exactly this when he said these words in Matthew chapter five. You'll remember them. He said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Some of us are feeling distant from God today because we have not taken this very step. So guys, I'll I'll pick on us guys just for a moment. I'm a guy, so I can pick on the guys. Um, If we need to make things right with our wife, if if we are not considerate of her needs, if we speak in a harsh way to our wife, if we do not treat her with the honor that she deserves as the wonderful gift that she is to us from the Lord, Peter says in his letter, our prayers will not be heard. We need to make things right with our wife in order to restore close communion with God. You know, what about in our our relationships with our children? When we speak in a way that is harsh to our children, if, if we berate them in some way, if we are overly harsh with them, uh, if if they feel they have been treated unfairly, or we did not keep our promise to them in some way, this, children don't know how to deal with those perceived sins against them. But when we as father or mother come to them in a humble way and say, would you forgive me for not keeping my promise? Would you forgive me for the way that I spoke to you? Isn't it true that our children, they, open arms are so eager to forgive and to reconcile? So often our family relationships are the first place maybe where we need to consider making amends. Perhaps I have lied to someone, I have harmed them in some way, I have not been fair or honest in one of my business dealings. It needs amends. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus in the Gospels when uh, Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah and God changed his heart? He had been a dishonest tax collector. And he says, I will, I'm gonna restore five times what I, what I took from other people in an unjust way. In other words, he's saying, I'm gonna exceed the requirements of the guilt offering. I will exceed them because Jesus has changed my heart and now I realize I must make amends. In Celebrate Recovery, which is a awesome ministry here at the church, a Christ-centered uh, 12-step ministry, Steps eight and nine is to make amends. And the reason that amends is part of our healing is because it is a spiritual principle right from the scriptures that until we make amends, our healing is not complete. Maybe we we think, I, you know, we think the way I harmed someone, there's no There's no way that I can make amends. I can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I don't know how to make those amends, or maybe even the individual we hurt is no longer with us. And in such a situation, we simply, we do all that we can, but then we accept by faith that Jesus is our guilt offering. Praise God, he has covered it but we have a responsibility to do all that we can in restoring our fellowship with God. Here's here's the third spiritual principle. I offer the burnt offering through surrender and obedience to God's will. Surrender and obedience to God's will. Romans 12 is referencing the burnt offering when it says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It's saying that Paul is saying here in Romans, that just as the burnt offering in the Old Testament was fully consumed, so I offer all of myself back to him as true worship. And this is a sweet aroma to God. I yield all of myself. I hold nothing back. My prayer is God, use me fully for your purposes. And he is saying, that's the true burnt offering. That is the true way to worship. To fully yield to God's purposes is to make a decision to obey him, to have a desire in my heart to obey him 100% of the time. Just as the burnt offering was costly, Right, you, you brought an expensive animal, and none of it was eaten. It was fully consumed on the altar, so it was a costly offering. And just as a burnt offering was costly, so full obedience in our life many times is a costly thing. I remember in college a book that changed my direction a little bit was a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it was called The Cost of Discipleship. You might remember the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but he was a pastor in Nazi Germany. And as Hitler rose to power, as the Nazis rose to power, he realized that things were going south in his country very quickly, and he had to make a decision. Were they going to acquiesce to what was happening? or were they going to stand for what was right and protect the Jewish people in particular? And so Dietrich made the decision that they were going to stand against it. And of course, it ended up costing his life and he wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, from a prison cell. But he, the point is that to do what is right, to do what is right can often be costly. And are we prepared to pay the full cost? I remember when uh, Christopher Yuan came to speak at our church a number of years ago. He uh, is a professor at Moody Bible Institute, but he also has a dramatic testimony of God's deliverance in his life. And he wrote a book called Out of a Far Country. God called him out of the far country as the prodigal son to come home. And one of the things he had to yield as a new Christian were were sexual desires that were not of the Lord. And he said, "Though though this seemed so costly to me at the time, I knew that God was calling me to walk in holiness. And even if he never removed that, I'm gonna walk in holiness. And that is a sweet aroma to God when we do that. And so what about for us? Is there an act of obedience before us today that we have been hedging on, not yielding ourselves fully to his purposes and his grace? Maybe a moral choice or an ethical choice, maybe the use of my money, my time. But to live out the gospel is to live COUNTER CULTURALLY. AND THERE WILL ALWAYS BE A COST TO THAT. BUT RATHER THAN BACKING AWAY, WE WOULD SEE IT INSTEAD AS A BURNT OFFERING, A SWEET AROMA TO GOD. NOT MY WILL BE DONE, BUT YOUR WILL BE DONE. I WANT TO OFFER ONE FINAL THOUGHT, AND IT'S THIS, THAT I OFFER THE GRAIN OFFERING and I offer the peace offering through my praise and through my giving. The writer of Hebrews has these offerings in mind when he writes these words. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need, for these are the sacrifices that please God. The primary spiritual principle in the grain offering and in the peace offering is that they were offerings of thanksgiving to God for his provision and for his goodness. And we honor this principle of thanksgiving in these offerings when we, for instance, when we sing praise to God, when we come into church on Sunday morning and we gather together with one voice, we lift our voice and we proclaim our praise to the Savior who loved us and who died for us. And when we, we offer that as a sacrifice of praise. When we give a praise report, for answered prayer. Maybe we do it before the church, maybe as a testimony, maybe we do it before our small group, maybe we do it before our friend, but when we say, can I share how God has been so good to me, how he has answered my prayer, and when we give our praise to the Lord, it is like offering that peace offering to him, saying, thank you, Lord. When we share with others, out of the overflow, when we say, God, thank you for abundance in my life, that I have not only enough to meet my own needs, but I have enough to share with others. Thank you, Lord, thank you for that. That's a peace offering. The peace offering was shared with people. When we give back the first part of our harvest out of thanks to God, it's like giving the grain offering, we're saying thank you God for your amazing provision in my life. Those are the spiritual sacrifices we bring which give honor to God. So what do these sacrifices tell us about drawing near to God? What the courtyard tells us is that as we offer the sacrifices of confession, as we offer the sacrifices of surrender and as we offer the sacrifices of thankfulness, that, uh, that, that draws us into God's presence. That restores our fellowship with the God who loves us and cares for us. And so what I want to do is just lead us together in a prayer to offer these things again back to God. And then Nick's going to come and he's going to, Uh, prepare us to take communion before we dismiss today. But if you'd pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful, beautiful church that you have given to me and my family to be a part of. And I am so grateful for that. And we are so grateful for the word of God which guides us, which corrects us, which encourages us when we need it. And we thank you so much for it. And Lord, we wanna begin by offering you the sacrifice of confession this morning. While we have a still moment before you, we ask you, invite you to search our heart. If there is any way within us that is not right, that you would bring it to our attention. And even as you do that, in the stillness of our heart, we confess that before Almighty God. We say, Lord, thank you that you are my sin offering that has covered it. And through my confession today, you are cleansing me of all unrighteousness and restoring our sweet fellowship together. And Lord, I ask that you would also bring to my attention any way in which I have wronged or I have hurt another that I need to make right. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to us in that regard, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my children, whether it's other relationships in the church or in the community. Lord, if we have not done right by someone, Show us what that is and help us as soon as possible to reconcile and make things right. And Lord, we bring the burnt offering to you today by saying, Lord, we surrender all that we have and all that we are to your purposes. I yield fully, use me completely. And Lord, I declare to you today that I have a desire to obey you all the way, not halfway, not three-quarters way, not nine-tenths. I want to obey you fully in all the things that you ask of me, and I know that you in turn will give me the strength and the grace to do so. But I declare my intent today, and I offer that up as a burnt offering before you today, fully surrendered, and, Lord, we offer to you our thanksgiving, our thankfulness. You have provided for all of our needs and even more that we have enough to share with others, to do good in this world. And so enable us to do so, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision in our life. We praise you with our lips today, Thank you, thanking you for your goodness in every way. And if we are feeling distant from God in any way, thank you for drawing us near and drawing us close through confession, surrender, and thanksgiving. We thank you for it, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.